0: On the Pilot TV Podcast this week, we're back in utopia for Gillian Flynn's reboot of the Dennis Kelly conspiracy drama. We're bringing out the dead for the return of spooky BBC comedy Ghosts. And we're contemplating whether it's possible to reconcile belief in an omnipotent, benevolent God with the existence of evil. Specifically, the Mike Coulter TV show Evil, which makes its appearance on Alibi this week. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, a show that, if my Twitter feed is to be believed, has recruited more new Battlestar Galactica viewers in the past couple of weeks than the entire remaining population of the twelve. colonies in fact the only people on my timeline not signing up for the colonial fleet seem to be the people who think i'm an absolute monster for only updating my parts of the banshee spreadsheet a crime which quite <laughs> frankly i really have no defense for anyway joining me pilots fresh prince of bellend on the show this week are my two stricken from the spreadsheet colleagues terry who is very much looking forward to telling you about george the demon later in this podcast yes and Boyd, who has just about recovered from an unfortunate sponsorship on his other podcast, which led to him having to utter the words, <laughs> shave your balls, live on air. How are you both? Oh, <laughs> oh.
1: God.
0: I can't believe. Who was it?
1: Oh, Someone to me in. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And and I would never have heard in. about
0: this, Boyd. No. I would I never have heard this, Boyd, if it hadn't been for, bless them, one listener who yeah. obviously straddles the divide and listens to your Arsenal podcast as well. And mentioned, God and I didn't yeah. know what he was talking about at first, mentioned that why is Boyd. Shilling manscaping products. I'm like, I don't. I don't understand what are you talking about. And then even better, he posted the audio of your particular read.
2: For unbelievable ball grooming devices.
1: <laughs> Boyd. Boyd. Well, I manscaping. Mean, yeah. I I'm, I I listened to it and thought that is definitely not Boyd. There's been an uh, error. Uh, <laughs> Maybe good. it was what he'd done. You know how he'd edited the audio. But also, it's because I never thought I'd hear you talk about your balls. <laughs>
2: on air. Yeah, on air, first of all, let me make anywhere. it let me make it let, let me make it very clear. I was not talking about my testicles. I was talking about general testicles in the most general sense possible and that you can if you want groom that area with manscaped products. Yes, that's called manscaped. I'm glad I'm getting an extra plug in for them and it's a brilliant product obviously and we should never speak of it again on this podcast. Well, well, yes. Conceptual Enough.
1: testicles. Conceptual <laughs> testicles <laughs> Conceptual is what you're saying. Conceptual testicles, exactly. Yeah. It, imagine a metaphor. Non-specific. A from, it's not a metaphor. Um, also, we've basically just given them free advertising. So if yeah. those people would yeah. then like to give us some money. <laughs> it's an audio I like to play to myself once a day. And yeah. when I, when I miss you boys. <laughs>
0: Well, if we've just about covered off the benefits of a freshly Uh, shorn scrotum, shall we move on to what we've been watching this week? Boyd, Gardener's World, was that anywhere on yours? Oh, very good. Very
1: good.
2: no, uh, but I have been watching um, – I mean, I, I obviously you mentioned it in the intro, but I have to admit that I've been watching Battlestar Galactica. Um, you have not. And have you really? I have, yeah. I mean, I watched it when it went out originally, but I've completely forgotten it. I totally forgot the whole thing. I think because I, I when, when it went out originally, I then got the Blu-ray box set and I watched the interminably boring um, opening feature-length episodes. You mean the excellent two-part really miniseries? Slow. Well – it's very slow though, isn't it? Even you ab- about not fan has to get to It's not admit. fast, but it's excellent. it's not fast. But once you get over those, and I think they are a slight bar to barrier, maybe to general <laughs> viewers. I don't know. But once you get into the series proper, it is it's 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 it is really great. Yeah, I mean, it is it, it it reminded me. So I'd kind of forgotten that 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 it is. You know, apart from the political allegory, just full of interesting characters, three dimensional characters. It's just really well done. And it hasn't dated. I think even though you can tell it's not like mm. um the filmmaking isn't as self consciously cinematic as, as lots of, you know, subsequent TV dramas, but it still looks fine. It looks absolutely fine, and I think um, uh, you know. I think yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying watching it again. So, well, they've taken a kind of pseudo-documentarian
0: approach, didn't they, to the cinematography, which I think works really well they for did, this yes. particular subject. But does this right, mean, boy, that exactly. we will now get to hear weekly updates on your rewatch as you go through it? Because that would be great. No,
2: no, because that's all I'm going to say is that I am watching it, um, and I'm enjoying it, and it's really good, and yeah. But I'm not going to go into a fucking de- detailed weekly rewatch. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think you're right, Masturbate though. I think for anyone
2: listening who has yet to make the leap,
0: uh, you should... They're all on an iPlayer, but you want the two-part miniseries, which is not Razor or The Plan, which are TV movies for later on, but watch the two-part miniseries and then watch the first episode, season one, episode 133. Mm. So I know that's like that's three hours for the miniseries and then another, what, like 40-odd minutes for the first episode, but watch all of that and you will be hooked because 33 is magnificent, but you can't watch it without having seen the miniseries.
2: Sorry, bro. Right. Carry on. And then... um, we had a couple, We had a lot of messages about Ted Lasso uh, this week. Mm, yes, we did. Um, mm. Yeah, and so I had. I was a couple of weeks behind because it's it's going out weekly now. Um, and uh, I caught up last night, and it is still. And it is. It has got better and better and better. I mean, we we, we like well, you and I liked it from the start. Mm. Um, it's like a, it's a really weirdly love it, I mean, lovable. It's a so sweet and kind. In in not in, in a cloying way. I mean, it flirts with being. Sentimental and cloying every now and then, but you because you kind of believe in the characters and they're and they're very well written and performed. I'm a Brett Goldstein who plays the kind of sweary, annoying, kind of like resentful one. Who, but he's actually a really good guy beneath the the that bravado, and he's so brilliant in it. Um, that I'm it is really really enjoyable And, and 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 kind of it's one of the and then you think oh yeah it's from the guy who created Scrubs that's what you keep remember how and Scrubs did tread that line between being sentimental mm. and cloying and being very positive, having a kind of positive message. It's almost like a kind of self-help manual, um, Ted Lasso, <laughs> for for um, football fans. And I think that it's doing a really good job. And finally, very quickly, um, I just want to say the Great British Bake Off starts tomorrow, if you're listening to this on Monday when the podcast goes out. It's back on Channel 4, and I've watched the first episode, and Matt Lucas is the new co-presenter, and he is brilliant. He does a brilliant job in that role. And we could have forced you, James, to watch it and review it, but obviously it's probably not quite pilot TV <laughs> no, you material. Could not. Oh, don't no. tell me there was a there was a there was
0: a last minute twist and the gatto burned. Is that what happened? There is a big. There's a big dramatic moment where someone ends up in tears, but I won't spoil it. Some sort of pastry related tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Extraordinary. Yep. Terry, what have you been watching?
1: So um, we were visited this week by my in-laws. And that obviously normally means you concede a little bit of control of the remote. And I ended up accidentally watching, because my mother-in-law loves it, um, Married at First Sight, the Australian version. So, James, (laughs) you will detest every minute of this. Married at First Sight is literally what it sounds like, (laughs) which is two strangers are set up. And the first time they ever meet is on their wedding day when they're doing their vows. Um, And they basically live together. They go through a period of like um, a few weeks and then at the end they decide if they wanna stay married or they wanna get divorced. It's dreadful, but it's amazing. <laughs> and I somehow got engrossed in the Australian version and was screaming at the television last night. Um, and it's exceptional and they're all dreadful um, and they would all fail your bell and test <laughs> and I can't <laughs> stop watching it. Um, Yorkshire Job Centre continues to be fucking incredible. I talk about it all the time, but um, this week's episode was really lovely. I watched the rest of Devs, which was great hang to on, see. Hang on, hang
0: on. Devs or devs?
1: Dev's. I did not. You fucking... <laughs> I was really to, excited for a second <laughs> You two fucking wish. Come, do you know what? Wherever I am on my deathbed in the world, come and find me and ask me if I am yet to watch Dev's, and the answer will still be no, let me tell Perfect. you. Okay. Um, the rest of Dev's, And then <laughs> I watched episode four of Criminals. So when we talked about it last week, I'd seen mm. the first three. Four is the one with Kunal Nayar. That was amazing. Those entire four. I'm so gutted. There's only four. Why are there only four? Why are there only four? Um, Absolutely brilliant. So yeah, lots of telly this week.
0: Yeah, your man from the Big Bang Theory. Let's not forget. So your man uh, from
1: the Big Bang Theory. Being very on Big Bang Theory. Like it's fair to say.
0: The anti-raj.
2: I think there's only four. I think there's only four. Because um, it's it's very uh, it's kind of difficult to to come up with an original you know a, a complete new story for each one they, I, I think but I do know I think I, I'm pretty sure that the oh, creators are up for doing God. more, an more.
1: can you imagine oh I'm it sorry is. we can only do a really small number of episodes because we've run out of ideas isn't that the bit when you're being commissioned where you have to prove you've got enough for an entire season guys They're guys guys have only They'll got more. four ideas for stories so you know no. you only can have four episodes
0: it's normally because I've got to do them in French and Spanish and German as well isn't it Well, there's but
1: is that, that even well, happening yeah this time.
2: I don't know if it is. Yeah, it's a good point. <laughs> Well they're complete they're not they're they're done by their own local created by their yeah. own local um talent anyway. So that, you've that's you've probably just, also run out of ideas. I know that the director the director and co-creator Jim Phil Smith is a very busy man. He's also directed something else coming up that I can't can't remember what it is. Do you know what? Anyway next
1: the next issue of Empire magazine that I work on, <laughs> I'm only gonna put out half a magazine because I'm quite busy the rest of the time and I've only really got enough ideas for half a magazine, so is that alright? <laughs>
2: Amazing. Oh, God.
0: Right. Okay. Well, I have watched none of these things you're talking about. Um, I have watched all of one of the shows that we'll be reviewing today, which is quite a lot, and I've also been watching The Haunting of Blind Manor, but I'm not allowed to talk about it because it's heavily embargoed. So we will talk about that another time. However, however, as promised last week, I sat down and I watched Doctor Who. <gasps> uh, specifically, oh, the episode right. that Boyd demanded I watch, Blink, which I have heard now. Now, just to put this in perspective, now this is this is is this the best episode of Doctor Who? Like this, this is I've certainly heard it's among them, but will we say this is the
1: best? I uh, wouldn't, but it is no, one. I of, think it's
2: up there. I, th- I would one say of top the best, and yeah, it's, I-
1: it's it's considered by most people to be one of the premier episodes.
2: Yeah, I would say it's in the top ten.
1: It's peak Moffat, isn't
2: it? Yeah, it's it's peak
0: Moffat. It's quite do- interesting to me, though, that the quote unquote best episode of Doctor Who oh, doesn't feature go. Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, or go. Doctor the Doctor. He's not Doctor Who, the he's doctor, the Doctor. Doctor, don't like, start fucking <laughs> calling him Doctor sorry, Who. Sorry, rookie error. There's a new yeah. error there. But do you know what I mean? Like, so this feels like this isn't a standard templated episode of this show like it feels like it's something very different because it focuses on an external third party doesn't it and then the Doctor is a Mm. peripheral part of this story and I'd always thought Carrie Mulligan was one of the companions I didn't realise she was just a one and done type you know she's in this you're looking at me like I've just said something criminal Terry was a, I was a companion i the show i just <laughs> knew she was in Jeez. it so i just assumed but this works really well as a kind of timey-wimey mystery and i just think it's really fun and i yes i mean it's great it's a great episode of tv it's oh, scary is not the word is it but it's quite uh you know it's 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 uh what's a word what's a word that's scary but less so it's like it makes you a little bit nervy creepy? doesn't it like it's creepy, creepy. that's creepy, it it's yeah. creepy. thank you yeah. it, it is creepy did you um
1: did you actually just say timey-wimey?
0: Yes. I said that specifically because that yes. is a phrase that comes up multiple times in this episode, especially when the Doctor says, I have found you with my, and I quote, timey-wimey detector, and he holds you up a really box.
1: You really have watched it. <laughs> yes, yeah. I really did. You said timey-wimey. <laughs> well, this is
0: a thing that got talked about a lot when people talked about Tenet, timey-wimey, timey-wimey. I'm like, why do people keep calling it that? And I'm wondering if actually it comes back to Doctor Who. Oh, yeah, totally. Back to this. Yeah. yeah. yeah, But he says here, like at one point, he's explaining kind of the temporal causality of the episode, and he says, and I quote, time is a big ball of wibbly wobbly, timey wimey stuff. Not quite yeah. tenet level, I'm saying, in terms of sort of physics representation, but sure, I can go with it. But um, so I, I really liked it, but I liked all the Carrie Mulligan stuff. I loved the stuff with the angels. I think I, I've nailed on a couple of things. I don't think I like the Doctor as a character, and I think that may be a fundamental problem I have with this show. Because he's quite silly and a little bit sort of like off kilter and wacky and a bit sort of slightly surreal in the things he says. And I think I find that quite irritating. So I think maybe I just don't gel with the doctor as a protagonist in the show. And I enjoyed this because he's, he's sidelined quite a lot.
1: But the interesting thing is, is that each iteration of the doctor is, is different in a certain way. So David Tennant was, um, And had this more quirky, kooky side to him. But he was more emotional in some respects. Like every doctor is a slightly different take on the doctor. So I don't think you can just say in a blanket way, I don't like the doctor. I think you have to like consider each... Yeah. each Doctor on his own, because each one is crucially and vitally different to the other. But they're all
0: quite quirky, aren't they? They're all
2: yeah,
1: sort of I like th- quote, quote, unquote, comedy yeah.
0: characters.
1: No, well, no, I no, think, not-
2: no, no, mm. no, I think you, James, I think you might prefer, this is interesting, because I think you might prefer Peter Capaldi's um, of Doctor. Of course he will, you Because Peter, he's yeah. miserable and takes himself more seriously. Peter Capaldi is, mis- <laughs> is quite, indeed, quite miserable and moany and um, introspective. He is the least, probably, comedic uh, of, Do- of The Doctor, I would say there is. And a, a lot of people found that, were annoyed about that. A lot of Who fans mm. who like the fact that it's a... You know, it is obviously... We, we You have to always say it's a children's slash family show. So mm. The Doctor has to be... Has to have some levity to him. Otherwise, it would be a bit... It would be weird. But actually, in the core years of his his version, Peter Capaldi's version, people felt it was getting really, really dark and serious. and And I would mention... I would say... If you if you ha- if you were so inclined, Heaven Sent, which is my favourite Peter Cabaldi episode, which is his solo episode. It's just him on his own, and is an incredible piece of writing and filmmaking and acting. And you might really like that one because that he's he's not fucking messing about in that one. He is not um, interesting, not wacky or um. It's it, but it is an incredible episode. Incredible. I think story. I would
0: prefer that because the wackiness of the Doctor does great with me. But I think part of it is because, as you say, it is aimed. I won't say young. It's not so pitched young. It's broad, isn't it? It's it's mm. it's to be enjoyed by all ages. Because of that, it lacks a certain edge and a certain bite. Like in like Blink well, in particular, right. this was an absolutely terrifying horror film that has just been sort of watered down for yeah. a broader well, okay. audience. Uh,
2: honestly, get Heaven Sent. That's your next one because that is not watered down in any way whatsoever. It's really it's really powerful. Because no, Stephen Moffat, I think he felt like at that point, by that point, it was like he could do pretty much what the fuck he wanted mm. to do within reason. And he, he you know, he, he, but he certainly didn't tailor it. He didn't, he's not sitting there going, I have to make sure this is okay for eight, nine, 10 year olds. He just wrote what he wanted to write and made sure, you know, and everyone else made sure it was, yeah. it was okay.
1: But all doctor, all doctors have the, doc, and it, it's yeah, dialed yeah. up and down in various yeah. doctors. So, day, so if you watch the entire arc of the 10th Doctor, there are episodes which tackle specifically with the darkness in the Doctor and the need for revenge and the kind of um, his inability sometimes to always choose the right path and his decisions... Having great consequence, and there's a couple of incredible episodes with Tenant, where <laughs> Tenant, not Tenant, <laughs> where he's basically grappling with that side of him, with the side, and there are a couple of key decisions he makes. Where if he goes one way, he basically becomes the thing he hates and fights against, and the other way is he chooses kind of the more humane path. But this this brutality and darkness inside of him um, is a really important part of the character. There are some cracking episodes of that with with David Tenant.
2: Yeah, true. Absolutely, yeah.
0: This one I liked, I think, Blink, because it was more of a... Straight, dramatic, sort of tonally quite dark episode. Some of the other ones of this I've watched. The wackiness, what I call the red dwarf factor, has been dialed up quite a lot and has irritated me a lot. Like weirdly, I think it's the second. I want to say the second episode of this entire run of Doctor Who, the second Eccleston one, where they see the end of the world and there's like the last surviving human. It's like a face stretched out on a frame and talking the in a comedy downtown yeah. an accent. And I was the like, face I was like, what is this shit? Like <laughs> it's just like. But you know what I mean? Like not not because it's bad but because it had it tonally it's not a million miles from Red Dwarf like it's really just a bit stupid and that's fine if that's what you're going for but I really struggle with that outside of a pure comedy right. and frankly even inside right. a pure comedy You've setting got, honestly yeah.
2: please, please you don't like comedy- yeah, yeah, but please, God, try Heaven Sent because I think you will like it. And I think you, Peter Capaldi is your doctor. Your quest to make me like Doctor Who is never going to end, is it? No, no. It's so, also
1: classic. I always hate people. I hate Capaldi fucking. People who in- like <laughs> say Capaldi be mean, is but- their yeah. favourite doctor. I hate those cunts. And well, there you go. That's why, that's why it's perfect for James.
2: <laughs> yeah, I now desperately want to love Capaldi yeah. as the doctor. I think I've made my point. <laughs>
1: oh, God. So yeah. just,
0: just quickly, before we move off Doctor Who, because this isn't actually a Doctor Who podcast. What is the best episode then? The single best episode. Oh. If you had to put your life on the line, oh, well, what is
1: well, it? It's, well, it's um. So the best episode of Doctor Who and it's also the one I've watched the most is Doomsday, which is a Billy Piper, Rose Tyler's final episode. It's so devastating and brilliant and funny and sharp. And it's yeah, it's everything that I love. In Doctor Who, and it's got one of the most heartbreaking scenes in Doctor Who history. Yes, you heard me. Boy, do you- in Doctor Who history.
0: Would you concur? Is this the best episode?
2: It is brilliant, yeah. I would um, one of my favorites is Midnight, um, which mm. is a David Tennant one with Leslie Sharp. And um it's a very, very simple um uh premise, which is that that Leslie Sharp's character speaks speaks simultaneously as the other character she knows what everyone's going to say and it's and that is the premise, and it's it ends up being very creepy and fascinating. And that that is a brilliant episode. Russell T. Davis um, wrote that episode, um, awesome. and
1: I will just say, turn left as well. Turn left, which is good, is, yeah. But which I think, is I keep thinking of ones that you
2: were like. I think you were like Midnight as well. That's another one that's d- quite dark and um, definitely not wacky in any way. No. well, So that
0: was uh, was <laughs> whatever that segment was. <laughs> he's trying to make James like Doctor Who segment.
2: Um, Tried to make James we- like Doctor Who pop. Part- <laughs> Two, part three next week. (laughs)
0: shall we move on to this week's listener question which comes from simon morrison and the reason that this comes about is because uh he's just started or is in season two i believe he said uh, of sons of anarchy and his issue was he was finding the occasional irish accents on it rather upsetting and asking if there was much of that coming forward unfortunately i was then forced to tell him that the next season is entirely based in ireland and also has a gaelic theme tune so if you're talking about hate crimes against the irish accent then it can only get worse from here but Something he suggested off the back of this. Can you give us some examples? What do you think are the worst accents in TV?
1: Right. Angel's Irish accent. Oh, so we have to start there. Oh,
0: Angelus. So, Angelus' flashbacks.
1: Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Angel's previous life in the old country because he's meant to be of Irish descent. I mean, what the fuck? There is. I watched some of these clips on YouTube just to remind myself. And it is like, oh, we're going to go down the oh, no, and a bit, a bit do it bit Oh, like, what are you talking about? It's ridiculous. They're always um, after his
0: lucky charms. Oh,
1: <laughs> very good, very very good. And also, because you know, you've got Spike, who is, yes. American, right? James Masters playing a British person with a British accent that's better than mine, so quite well. frankly. Yeah. Um, Drusilla also terrible accent. Oh God, I'm sorry. What oh, governor thanks
0: just terrible right? although kendra's jamaican accent was pretty oh. fucking shocking and i think you have oh. just said about that that it was literally the day before shooting we just said to her i think we're going to do your character with a jamaican accent she was like you are can
1: you imagine <laughs> it's
2: just horrific oh
1: my god yeah so B- buffy is a mixed bag on the accent front
2: Boydie? Well my answer I've realised when I was answering this question i realised that my answer to the, whatever the, the the question is every week is invariably Frazier. but this week it's really Frasier <laughs> It's Daphne isn't it? It's Daphne. Fucking hell not only Daphne yeah so you've got Daphne played by Jane Leaves who for some mystifying reason was given a Manchester character to play even though she's a southerner and if you hear her speak normally she's not Mancunian so she has to adopt this northern accent for 11 <laughs> series and it was completely ridiculous decision And it's kind of like a kind of mangled, slightly too posh Mancunian thing that just doesn't work at all. You just get used to her speaking in this bloody accent. But worse than that, though, the members of her family that we meet kind of halfway through the run of Frasier, particularly La Paglia. As her brother Simon, who speaks in the worst Cockney accent ever, <laughs> even though he's in the same family and is supposed to be from Manchester, he talks to this like mangled Cockney. It is <laughs> it is unbearable to the extent to which the episodes he's in, which are there are many, including quite key ones, like. Niles and Daphne's marriage are almost unbearable to watch because he's so fucking terrible in it. And there are other characters in that in that in her family, all her other brothers, she's got loads of brothers. Robbie Coltrane pops up in it, and you can't he is he literally he's incomprehensible, which I think is a joke at the expense of all the other actors they've had doing terrible accents on Frasier. So yeah. Can
1: I make a point about Daphne? Yeah. You see, I was because everybody and everybody in America moans about it, and everybody always moans about her accent. <laughs> I don't think it's that bad. And do you know what I think <laughs> the problem is? The problem just is that she's speaking in a northern accent. Like, that's what people are annoyed about. Because she, I find it quite a good northern okay. accent, but I think people don't like to hear broad northern accents on the telly and definitely not on the telly when she's meant to be this kind of quintessential British person and they've got her speaking dead broad. Um, So I think that's the problem with Daphne because when you watch it, I don't think it's as bad as everybody says. Mm. I mean, it's it's mystifying to make her Northern in a a US show where you just want her to sound British and everybody in America thinks everybody speaks like the Queen. So it is an odd decision. Yeah. But I feel like she's oh, unfairly right. maligned. Yeah,
2: it's not, it's it's by no means, is it? Uh, Antony Lepagli is the answer. Yeah, he is the answer rather than her. I uh, kind mm-hmm. of, uh, she's the build up for me too. It's more, yeah, it was mystifying that they made her do. Yeah, from, it's they an made the character creative compliment. choice just, it's just an an to say, say yeah. choice. speak with a Mancunian
0: yeah. accent, even yeah. though you're not from Manchester.
2: Yeah, so yeah, I, I I go along with what you're saying. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. But Antony Lepagli, honestly, just find a clip of him doing this fucking cockney and and you it's a disgrace to humanity, yeah. There's also, quickly, Julianne Moore, had to do a Boston (gasps) accent yeah in 30 Rock right and it's like it's unbelievable it is absolutely extraordinary because she goes hell for leather for it and doesn't pull it off and obviously Julianne Moore is a legend and is one of the greatest people in the world but that was fucking terrible and finally Aidan Gillen I mean what was he doing in Game of Thrones little finger just in the variety of it yeah it's just pick Pick a pick a part yeah. of the world.
0: Just yeah. he does go all over the map. It's an equal all opportunities accent. He's Welsh one minute, he's Irish the next,
2: then he's a bit yeah. English, then a bit American. Yeah, yeah. that's which that I know Anthony Hopkins choice. famously does in films, doesn't he? Like Anthony Hopkins. I think in that period where he was making terrible like thrillers, <laughs> American Don't thrillers. Don't you knock the edge?
1: Yeah. <laughs> like,
2: <he> <laughs> <that one. laughs> yeah. What's the one where he has where he plays the really rich guy who kills his wife? Um, and gets away with it. Do you know the one I mean? There's, there's this film where, honestly, it's like Irish, <laughs> Irish, <laughs> Welsh, American, English, everything. The gamut. He runs the whole fucking gamut. And I read there was an interview with the way he admitted that he did not bother <laughs> sticking to one accent because <laughs> he was like, "Well, this is you know, I just wanted to have a fun time." Yeah. Well, that's just co- like Connery as well. It the point where
0: it's just you, when you hire Sean Connery, you just yes. hire Sean Connery. It doesn't yes. matter who he's playing; he's just yeah. Sean Connery. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. But yes, I, I know, yeah, little finger's accent. I think just the inconsistency was a the problem there. Like people call out uh, Peter Dinklage for for Tyrion's accent. I don't think there's anything wrong with Tyrion's accent. It's just that he Uh-oh. he adopts this very RP accent yeah. in it and I think people aren't really used to that like it's an unusual choice so I don't think it's like it was a bad accent it was just a slightly odd choice to go for an RP accent in that you have mentioned yes. David Tennant who famously adopted a California accent in Grace Point do you remember that? Oh yeah, yeah. Not, yeah not so I
1: was watching a clip of that earlier. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't and that
2: whole project was very misguided doing an American versus broad church for no fucking reason. Yeah. <laughs> um but yes, the
0: the Sons of Anarchy Irish accents are particularly bad. Titus Welliver, Who I Love and Who Is Bosch, plays Jimmy O'Peelin in uh, in Sons of Anarchy, and yes, it's it's slightly upsetting. Um but there have been some great ones, I must say, like slightly off the question, but I do think like <laughs> I it I was absolutely floored after watching The Wire when I found out that Dominic West and Idris Elba weren't American. Like their accents are incredibly good.
2: In well, that more show. to the point, the Americans were, weren't they? The Americans couldn't believe it that yeah. just, mm. it just was uh, was British. Yeah, it was, yeah, it's it amazing. Incredible. They're so good. I'm also a big fan of. Uh, it's not
0: really uh, <laughs> like, I mean, he, he's fucking English, but Tom Hardy's Alfie Solomons and Peaky Blinders re- <laughs> remains one of my favourite TV accents. I just think that's genius. I love that character.
2: Just to say, the film I was thinking of is Frat. Which I fucking love. I haven't the seen Hopkins that. Ryan Gosling oh, film, but his accent in that is hilarious. It's, <laughs> oh, you'd love it. It's brilliant. Fracture. Go and see. Yeah. When was it? What year was it? Do you know? Uh, yeah, it was two thousand seven. Two thousand seven.
0: I don't think I have seen that actually.
2: Um, right. Any other any other nods you would like to give, or are we done? <laughs> Well, th- which I, I was just going to say there is a terrible accent coming up in a show that we're going to review in a couple of weeks' times that you may have mentioned already on this podcast that we're not allowed to review because it's embargoed. Oh, yes. But it is that terrible. One. I and know American exactly actor does. Of which you speak. Yeah, it's annoying <laughs> to say, but just just look out for it in a couple of weeks. <laughs> and we- yes, we will draw
0: attention to it then, I assure you. Thank you, Simon Morrison, for that question. If you would like to have your question addressed on the Pilot TV podcast, then do feel free to hurl it to at Pilot TV Pod via DM on twitter uh, and i will pick it up there right time now for this week's news and the big story this week is quite possibly that she hulk has been cast in the form of tatiana maslany who famously portrayed multiple roles in orphan black don't know if anyone saw that was a very good show Uh, and she will be playing jennifer susan walters aka she hulk the hulking out the lawyer in uh the show when it drops on disney plus in 2022 but that's a good bit of casting that like a lot of people were campaigning for Alison Bree brie back in the day which i never again mainly because i mainly associate her with comedy but uh i never quite saw that but this I, I i totally see this i think she'll be really good in this role
2: yeah she's great she was also in perry mason of course
0: this, this she was recently. in perry mason yeah. Yes, that is right. um and she uh,
2: uh- some, some people actually had criticised her for that role I think she's quite big she's quite big and over the top in Perry Mason but the character is I, I really enjoyed her in, in that show I thought she was great
0: mm, Perry Mason which it should be said apparently got really really good as it went along so I had lots it of people did. saying that yeah. we should have kept up with that which it, I did it really did I finished it yeah it was, it, it was great really. yeah it's been renewed for a second season as well She'd be but anyway, She-Hulk's being developed by Jessica Gao, uh, who wrote uh, the Pickle Rick episode of Rick and Morty. So that is either a sound recommendation or a cautionary tale, depending on your point of view.
1: <laughs> but She-Hulk also has a director now as well, right? Kat Quero, who is doing apparently this jilted bride rom-com for Universal called Marry Me, which is Jennifer Lopez. But it's interesting, I think, that they've gone for that kind of director for this. Um, Who knows, could be good, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm I like She-Hulk. I think it's, and I think this should be fun. I mean, I'm here for frankly any of the Disney Plus Marvel mm-hmm. universe spin-offs. It doesn't really matter. But she's a good character, and I've I've read the She-Hulk comics in the past. So yeah. Down for this. Down for this. Uh what else has been happening? The world Stumptown got cancelled. Did you see that ABC who had renewed yeah. Kobe smoulder Stump Town? Yeah. While we're on the subject yeah. of MCU players. Uh they had renewed it for season two, and then apparently did a Sudden reverse ferret, and have unrenewed it, and now cancelled it. So Stumptown is no more. Yeah,
1: they said it was due to COVID, something. Um, so I don't know if that means. I don't know, actually know what does that mean. Why <laughs> is would that in COVID the same way that
0: anyone can be asked anything, and they can just reply with because COVID?
1: Yeah. they're yeah. using it. it's an excuse, yeah. isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's. It, I mean, I guess that stuff is costing a lot more because you have to make you know, special provisions and all of that. But it seems it seems a bit much to have reversed mm. a decision well, just for COVID. Their official
0: line is that the decision was made because scheduling conflicts came up because of the logjam caused by COVID. So it was uh, like scheduling it in when they've had to move everything around. As caused, and I guess they weren't that keen anyway. So they made the right. decision to pull the plug. Right. But that's a shame because that was
2: good. Yeah. I was going to mention the Emmys, which because so the Emmys go go over five nights, right? You there's gots. so many awards, and as we speak today on Friday, as you recall, this the first four nights have happened. So the 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 kind of the main in quotes prizes will be given out on Sunday night. So too late for us. But there have been a lot of winners announced already, and I'm looking at. Watchmen, I would say, is, is already sweeping up a lot of things. So it's won um, the soundtrack, won Best, it's best Soundtrack, Cinematography, um, a lot of the technical uh, awards it's getting, and um, shows like uh, Schitt's Creek's won a couple as well already, and um, uh, Succession. So I would say those kind of shows, I think, will pro- are looking to kind of be some of the ones that clean up in the, in the kind of big mainstream awards when they're doled out on. Sunday night.
1: James, I'm very surprised you haven't mentioned The Mandalorian.
2: Mando
0: trailer. trailer. Yes. This is the way. <laughs> oh, where he goes, I go. Oh, it's so good. Oh. Yeah, I was very much here for the for the Mando trailer, especially for the moment where Baby Yoda gets scared that a fight's about to happen and locks himself away in his little cot. <laughs>
1: well what was that there's a line which is like this is not suitable for a baby or, so, or yeah. something like that they're fully <laughs> leaning into it aren't
0: they it's amazing it's amazing although there seems to be a backlash against people calling him baby Yoda like apparently now they're saying oh no you should call him the child fuck you the child. his name is baby Yoda yeah. um, fuck, you. <laughs> <laughs> fuck
1: you but
0: uh, <laughs> yeah I, I was so ex- I'm so excited for this to come back I really am it's so much fun and it has such a great score and there's so many cool people in the new one although we don't see any of the new characters in the Trailer, I should point out.
1: Well, no, because they they aren't even confirming. No, I know those new people. There is a hooded currently. There's a
0: hooded Jedi in it. We don't know who it. Is. Oh my god. Well, we kind of do know who it is, but it's not anyone that exciting. <laughs> but, um, oh my god. But uh, yes, I still, and I mentioned this in the Empire podcast. I refuse to buy into the idea that Mando doesn't know what a Jedi is. I feel that's ridiculous. Like it's like, mm. and you no, know, just you know, have some awareness of the world around you. You know what a Jedi is. Anyway, um, (laughs) Raised by Wolves, Not That One, has been renewed for a second season by HBO Max. So uh, a lot of those dropped recently, and that seems to have done pretty well for them. Very excited to see Ridley Scott's slightly crazy hard sci-fi, Terry, will be returning for a a second season. Hard
1: (laughs) sci-fi! That's right. I don't
2: know when we're getting that over here, to be honest, though I would very much like to see it. I think soon-ish, yeah. I think it will arrive quite soon. Don't you worry about that.
0: Okay, okay.
2: I'm excited about the fact that Jim Carrey has been cast as Joe Biden in Saturday Night Live. (laughs) That's Um, amazing. Amazing, just amazing, considering he's like decades younger. So I don't know whether they're going to, whether it'll be a makeup thing, you know, a latex thing, one of those, but I'm fascinated to see what's going to happen there. And Saturday Night Live, which is back, will be back kind of early October. And he's now shown every week on Sky Comedy, by the way. It'll be brilliant to see him. And of course, Alec Baldwin's Donald Trump, I'm sure will be back as well.
1: Um, And kind of an update to the um, Britain's Got Talent story we talked about last week, which was obviously all of the awful people complaining (laughs) about the diversity routine. And ITV and Britain's Got Talent both came out in support of diversity in the routine this week. Um, And also I think Ofcom announced that there will be no investigation. It's one of those weird moments where you go, hang on, has sense and mm. good thinking prevailed? Has something gone as it should in this world? And it appears to have. It's, yeah. it's kind of restored my faith in... I'm, I don't know about people, because people are the worst, but it's restored my faith in something again.
2: Yeah, definitely. And it was interesting as well. Like, did you, I read one report with a, that highlighted the fact that the complaints, when, it, when the actual live show went out on Saturday night a couple of weeks ago, the number of complaints they got after that first airing was a handful and it was only of course when the papers picked up on it that it became a thing and then thousands of people joined the bandwagon and I'm my feeling is hardly uh, I'm sure thousands of those people didn't even fucking watch it they just saw this bandwagon of complaints um and that's how that's how the kind of the culture wars operate now. If something gets picked up in a paper, hardly anyone really cares about it in the real world. Everyone was fine with it, but it becomes a thing and it be yeah, but good on ITV totally. And and Ofcom. Yeah. Um, for rejecting it.
1: Um I was excited by this um Emily Watson yes. ITV announcement. Um so it's essentially from what I can tell, an ITV psychological thriller called Too Close that is based on a um, big hit book and Emily Watson will play a psychiatrist who gets too close to her patient Um, and that patient is played by Denise Goff from Stella Um, Emily Watson is just incredible I mean I've been watching The Third Day which we talked about last week Um, holy fucking moly I do enjoy the fact that everybody's saying Chernobyl star and I'm like Well, kind of, but she's also Emily Watson, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So she's amazing. She was in equilibrium, for God's sake. (laughs) 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 But this sounds brilliant. It's directed by Dr. Foster, director, and we all know how much I enjoy Dr. 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 Foster, (laughs) Dr. Foster the 83 times I watched it. Um, So, yeah, uh, Bruce Goodison, who directed Dr. Foster, is also directing this one. I think this sounds like it could be fucking awesome.
2: Yeah, I'm very excited about that. And in life, the Dr. Foster spinoff is coming up very soon. In fact, I think we'll be reviewing it next week. Oh, will we now? Well, yes, we will, James. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. I'm equally excited casting news. I'm excited about the Channel 4 remake of the excellent Swedish crime thriller Before We Die, which was announced this week. Um, And it's going to start Leslie Sharp, who is pretty much up there, I think, um, as one of the best actors around has been for decades with um Patrick Gibson of the OA he was Steve in the OA who had the one of the best arcs in that Mm. whole and obviously the greatest show ever made um as the kind of he started out as being this bully this jock bully who then turned into completely came around and became a very sensitive uh fascinating character and he's going to play her son and um it's all about a detective who realizes that her son um is an undercover informant in a murder investigation and I can't wait to see those two um facing off is that it for news yeah
0: yeah okay well let us now move on to this week's reviews and we begin with gillian flynn's utopia which attempts to reboot the entirely brilliant 2013 Conspiracy Series yeah. black comedy drama type thing by Dennis Kelly with a new American setting and we had heard a brand new take on the subject matter. Uh, like its forebear, this focuses around a mysterious comic called Utopia which hides within its pages dire predictions for the end of the world. A comic book indeed that many people would quite literally kill to give out of circulation. The question is, Boyd, what has this remake done to justify its existence in this crowded TV release schedule? Which I appreciate is a very niche joke that makes no sense unless you've seen the show, and no one listening to this has been able to see it yet. That is brilliant.
2: Um, <laughs> very good. Well, this is this show has had uh, what you, you might call a a complex and complicated um, history. Uh, originally it was going to be an HBO production. David Fincher um, was very heavily attached to it. He was going to direct quite a lot of the episodes and kind of joint show run it, I I believe, with Gillian Flynn. Um, Obviously, he directed uh, the film version of Gone Girl, the brilliant film version of Gone Girl, her novel. Then he dropped out due to a disagreement with HBO over the budget. This is all out there. This has all um, uh, been explained. Apparently, like a $10 million disagreement over the budget for this whole series. And... HBO wouldn't budge and he wouldn't budge so he dropped out. Now it's become this an Amazon prime show. Um, and I think the one of the main reasons that it was going to be more expensive. it was going to be set in the future, this version it's now set in the present and i and i i wonder whether this that it being set in the future was a key thing that was going to separate it out from the british original what we're now left with it's very much set in the present it's it's about it, it keeps the premise of a group of nerdy comic book graphic novel fans who are all obsessed with this same um graphic novel called utopia and they come together in this version, they come together at a Comic-Con style event um, to, to kind of discuss the fact that a sequel to the original has been discovered or pages of a sequel have been discovered. And this is the most exciting thing that possibly happen in the world. And they soon find out that there is a lethal danger to keeping an interest in this graphic novel, which touches upon global viruses and other kind of international calamitous events that seem to get predicted in the pages of this graphic novel. So it's a conspiracy the- it's a conspiracy thriller, kind of slightly sci-fi-ish, very much topical in in, in the fact that viruses, mm. a virus is right at the heart of this thing and whether it's a man-made virus created in a lab to then go out and <laughs> destroy half the world. Um, one of the main differences, so you've got Sasha Lane is in it as Jessica Hyde, who's one of the people who's featured in one of the characters featured in the graphic novel, and she enters into this group of nerds and kind of changes all their lives in quite a spectacular way. You've got psychopathic um, professional assassins who are kind of searching for the people who've got involved in the graphic novel, um, f- very similar to how they were in the Channel 4 original. In fact, they actually look the same. The casting is weird because the American customers members literally cast to look like their equivalents in the original version. It's so version, odd, isn't it? Which is so odd. Mm-hmm. Like
0: Desmond Borges, uh, who they've got yeah. playing Wilson Wilson, who clearly designed to look like a DL actor.
2: And right. then you've got Christopher Denham, who looks like Neil Maskell. And it's just like, this exactly. is very strange. Exactly. So Wilson Wilson being, I think, the most interesting of the, of the group of people obsessed with the, the graphic novel who... I mean, it's famously got one of the most famous torture scenes in in the uh, very painful, difficult to watch, and that is replicated pretty much very closely in this version. The main difference, so it's is the character of Doctor Kevin Christie, played by John Cusack, who I think pops up in episode two. I've watched like four or five now, so I forget I forget which which episode which. But he he arrives, and he has a connection to the virus, and he is an eccentric ultra rich kind of um, you know we've seen the kind of Silicon Valley type billionaire but and he has a weird he seems to live with half his colleagues and his family and he's kind of on what he's kind of He's charismatic and charming, but also creepy, and not something not quite right with him. And he is the main new character. So he is—he is a. The, there wasn't an equivalent of him in the original. Mm. Um. So that is the main difference. And he is really good. And I'm fascinated by that character. Bottom line is, I think your response to this show is going to entirely depend on the extent to which you've seen the original. And I think, obviously, in America, where the original isn't much of a thing, apart from its, you know, proper. Fans of um, probably TV drama fans who would have sought it out. And it is famously a cult thing, I think, in America. But here, you know, a lot, I think anyone interested in TV would have watched it. In America, this whole story is going to say, oh, yeah, this is an interesting story. It touches upon lots of things that are happening. It's pretty, you know, the production values are great. The cast is really good and they'll probably enjoy it, find it fascinating. I think if you've seen the original, it's weird how closely it sticks to the original. And it kind of branches off a little bit after three or four episodes. And I say all the stuff with John Cusett's character is different, but it's still essentially the same story. And the way it replicates certain scenes and certain cast members' looks and all of that is just a bit weird if you've seen the original. So you can't, it's hard for me as someone who loves the original to shake all of that. Um, And in the end, what's finally my last point is the original had such an interesting, striking visual look, these bright primary colours, stark white, a lot of white, beautifully filmed, beautifully directed. And I guess the one thing they have eschewed in this version is they've dropped that. Mm. And it kind of just now looks like a normal, very well-made, high-production version, but nothing particularly special. So the one thing I think that, that made the original so memorable, apart from obviously its storyline and characters, was that look, and that has gone. They haven't tried to stick with that. But apart from that, it's 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 something that I think you'll appreciate it much more you if it's brand new
0: to you. It's odd, isn't it? Like, you, you're absolutely right. It's that, that hyper-saturated Technicolor palette was really striking in the original, but also that slightly hyper-real, surreal soundtrack by Christabel Tapia de Beer, which I love. I love the soundtrack to Utopia. And so those things are absent here, but they've maintained, or at least tried to maintain, an element of the slightly quirky black comedic sensibility. It's just more suppressed, I think, in this. It's a really strange thing, because we talked about this in the past when I first saw the trailer, and I was like, no, oh, it doesn't feel Utopia and you were saying well you know i think they're trying to do something completely new and that's laudable and that would be true if it were true because but they're not <laughs> like they've not no. tried to do anything new with this it, this just feels like what so many great sort of shall we say cult British TV shows go through when they get you know translated to the US where it's just a bigger more American version which isn't quite as good like it's more violent it's more explicit like the torch scene you talk about is more unpleasant to look at in this one uh it's it's much more graphic in this one um you know and there's a she we scene in episode three which is not to be missed and there are some really, really shocking moments. It's a very shocking uh, moment in episode two, and another one a bit later on. Stuff that comes out of nowhere, but you feel like those shock things are really being laid on. There's a lot of gore. There's a lot of violence. There's a lot of very casual, very bloody violence. And yes, the original was violent, but this feels a little bit more clumsy in the way it executes that. I like some of the stuff that, that carried over. The yellow bag, if anyone's seen the original, the yellow bags makes an appearance here as well. But uh, but yeah, and they make a few deviations. But all the way through this, I was thinking exactly the same you were, Boyd. I was like, if I'd never seen the original, I'd probably think this was this was good. I'm enjoying this. This is this is fun. This is new. But having seen the original, all I could think was, for the love of God, why didn't they just you know pick that up again or continue it or just do more with that? Because it was so much better. And there's even a point in this one where the camera pans across a cork board and there is a post-it note on the corkboard that just says call dennis k and i was like mm. yes that is my takeaway from the show <laughs> call dennis k that's what you should have done
1: i mean exactly what you two just said which is i don't know if you remember but i did a rewatch watch of utopia mm. recently which i talked about on this very podcast and was struck again at just how fucking amazing it mm. is and what a genius Dennis Kelly is and the boldness and the innovation and it just as you are talking about the visuals of it, the writing, it's just so brilliant. And I'll tell you what this felt like. This felt like going to see No right? (laughs) So when you go to see No kind of everything's as it should be. There's the right number of people. If you stand at the back of the room with the lights off, that guy could be Liam. Um, That guy looks a bit like Bonehead, maybe. (laughs) And the sound's close enough to kind of be an approximation. But, you know, you're not getting the vibes and the chills that you get that I got when I went to see Oasis at Sheffield Arena in 2010, right? And that's all I can liken it to, which is it is a shadow, I think, of the original show. So it's visually muted. Um, the, the humor just doesn't punch and buy mm. in the same way that it did in the original. You know, and, and weirdly, I was thinking maybe being made and produced now and coming out into the world now, what with talk of a flu pandemic, this may feel more relevant and more zeitgeisty and maybe it will actually have an even greater resonance than it did do originally, but weirdly not at all. And it just felt to me like it was a just a weaker, flatter, quieter, more muted version of what we'd already seen And, but it wasn't even particularly cohesive because you would have it felt like at one point I thought, oh, they're just playing it safer. They're not taking a lot of the risks or really pushing it as far as the original. But then you'd get this uber violence and, and Mm. some, this sudden brutality, but it's playing out against this otherwise kind of muted execution. So it felt far less cohesive and daring and bold and interesting than the first one. And essentially, if you haven't seen the first one, as you say, you might enjoy this. But if you haven't seen original Utopia, seen I'd say don't yeah. fucking watch this one. Don't watch that. Yeah. Like, That's I just, I don't Brilliant. see... I don't see the point in this I don't see the point oh, yeah.
0: it's the, I mean I alluded to this in the introduction here but there is a line repeated by John Cusack's character in this where he says what have you done today to earn your place in this crowded world and it's just like mm. exactly like that's the thing that was going through my head watching this like this has not done enough to earn its place on my viewing schedule even though I have watched every episode mm. of it I'm just like <laughs> <laughs> hang on hang I did on. watch all of them I did watch all of them it can't me enough to do that but I was just like but again it just it doesn't do enough with the material to warrant its existence. We already have Utopia, it's already brilliant. You needed to do more to make this earn its place. And uh, and I don't think it does.
2: I, I carried on watching it as well, but mainly because I was keep I I just wanted to keep an eye out for when it's gonna divert from the original one. I kept like, please, please let it go down and really interesting. And it kind of threatens to, doesn't it? I mean, I haven't finished it yet, unlike you, James, but every time it threatens to be different and new and exciting, it kind of just doesn't quite go there, which yeah, I found yeah. weird. I also just to get a deal. Like I actually found Jessica Hyde that this version of Jessica Hyde less fundamentally less convincing than the, the one in the original. <sighs> I didn't buy, <sighs> buy her. I don't want to spoil it, but what she yeah. does in this and the speed with which she does it, if yeah. you know what I mean? I found that, I didn't buy it. I I just found that a bit. I didn't think it was. That was written. I didn't think that character was well written enough to justify what
0: she does. Horribly misjudged. So it's Sasha Lane plays in this, uh, famous from American Honey, where it was uh, Fiona Shaughnessy in the original. But in this one, it's like you it's very hard to and we're coming back to it's not so much a likability thing it's very hard to maintain sympathy with that character because the that character has always had bite she's always been an edgy character but in this one she's just awful and it's just they, yeah. they seem to have yeah. misjudged how the audience yeah, is going to I respond to that character yeah. uh, which i think yeah that was definitely a misstep
2: uh, i know this is an annoying thing to say but i'm going to say it anyway just <laughs> imagine what it would have been like with fincher uh, involved though i uh, think it, honestly i think and because the thing that marks him out i think in his whole career you know, is it's being uncompromising. And I think this feels in in a strange way, and I have no idea. You know, what, I'd love to read in the end what you know. This is one of those projects where you want I want to read every single detail of what happened in the making of it. But I feel like it needs a really uncompromising figure to 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 to, to do this, to do this thing. And and, and he was he dropped out. Yeah. Well, we will never get to see what he would have
0: made of Utopia. But if you want to see what Gillian Flynn made of it, then Utopia drops in its entirety on Amazon on Friday, September the twenty fifth. Next up this week is Evil, a show that debuted on CBS in the States last year and stars Mike Coulter and Katya Herbers as a pair of investigators. One, a Catholic would-be priest, and one, a sceptical forensic psychologist. And they investigate the work of the devil from their distinct perspectives. Uh, it is a demonic procedural, and the first episode features a demon called George. But Terry, is this the work of God Or the devil.
1: This is a work of fucking genius is what it is. So obviously, this is a supernatural network procedural. So obviously, I'm already in from the get-go. I... I'm going to cut to the chase and say I loved this and I am so desperate to stop talking to you lot and go home and watch all of the others because it is absolutely brilliant. So it's by Michelle and Robert King, who we know better for The Good Wife and The Good Fight. Um, and as you say, it's, it's really about these um, these two people and the opposing roles they play in these investigations into um, demons and into evil. She is brilliant. So there's something I find her really magnetic. She's really compelling on screen. Katja Herbers, obviously, was in Westworld. And she plays this skeptical forensic psychologist. So when we meet her, she's essentially working um, for the prosecution. She's the person who comes in and says, you know, they're absolutely sane. Whatever they're saying is nonsense. Um, And she's making quite a good living doing this because the backstory, and it's quite a random backstory, you have to say, is that she has four daughters, lives in this little weird house under a bridge, and her husband is off helping people climb Mount Everest, which is such a random little diversion that it's really, it kind of throws you for a minute, but that's the backstory of why she needs the money. And she's basically testifying in this case, and she meets Mike Coulter, who, as you say, is a trainee Catholic priest, who also, um, on behalf of the church, investigates events, which are, um, in this case, demons. In the second episode, it's going to be miracles. Um, And basically, he puts enough doubt in her mind about this guy she's um, trying to see if he's sane, that she no longer feels able to say he is. Um, She gets fired. And because of that, she ends up working together with Mike Coulter's character. To make money initially, but then you see that it's kind of challenging her beliefs and, you know, making her question everything. She wants to know. Now, the, there are you spy kind of um, ideas that have been explored in other things um, associated with religion and with um, heaven and hell and demons and the devil. So there's a little bit devil's advocate in there because there's this whole theory about the devil putting people in positions of influence, whether those positions of influence be lawyers, doctors, etc. cetera. Um, and also I was thinking about Stigmata with Gabriel Byrne, he's plays a little the Gabriel Byrne role, um, kind of having his own beliefs questioned at the same time. But there's like these actually quite interesting modern riffs, so there's this whole bit about this really bad guy this who's a doctor, but is the devil, maybe, you're led to believe. And the the theory is that he's trying to link all of the bad people in the world through social media. And there's a whole bit where they're talking about how social media is the work of the (laughs) devil. And you're like... I can't really disagree with that quite <laughs> frankly. Social media is the work of the devil and there's a whole theory around kind of how the devil works in the modern world and maybe part of the chaos we're seeing and the the fact that people devil you know the devil in all his forms and the people who work for him can now be connected by technology. So I found that really interesting. Now this it actually does some really interesting things stylistically, some kind of random things, some weird things. The this demon we're talking about, she has night terrors, right? And an incubus appears called not, George. Not the band
0: Incubus, because that'd be weird.
1: Not the band Incubus. He's called George, and it's amazing because he ba- basically like melts out of the wall, and you're like prepared to be proper scared. You're like, okay, this is good. This is the scary bit. And then he starts talking to her in this plum accent. Pops his head under the duvet and starts checking out a cesarean scar. And it, this weird <laughs> random tonal shift. Very X
0: Files. Very X Files.
1: Yeah. It, so, and that's what I was going to say yeah. is the, the random tonal shifts are incredible. And then you have this will they, won't they thing between um, Mike Coulter and Katja Herbert's characters. And, and there's a, clearly a chemistry. And I have to say, the, the chemistry is incredibly credible. I was totally buying into that and because of those things because of the to- the weird tonal shifts um that you just don't think will work what they do the pairing of them the kind of you know the belief and the cynicism And this will, they won't leave, it really reminded me of X-Files. And that's really the thing that it's most like. And so there are bits of it where you're like, this kind of shouldn't work. And it's a bit weird and really fucking random, like George the Incubus. Um, But it kind of does work. I got to the end of this and I was like, I think this is fucking brilliant. I really, really think this is fucking brilliant. And as I say, it's, the episodes are each gonna go into looking at different facets of, of organized religion and belief um, and trying to explore a different case each week. And I honestly, I'm like, so bang up for this. It's ridiculous. I found this brilliant and funny and scary at times. And yeah, I'm, 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 I'm loving it. I'm loving all of it.
2: Yeah, it's 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 a surprise. It was a real surprise. Like I knew I'd heard of it, and I knew that it was created by um, Robert and Michelle King, who did who because the the Good Wife is one of the best kind of network shows of of the last decade, I would say. Um, and this is a network show. This goes out on CBS <laughs> prime time in America, and it's fucking weird and freaky and very violent. There's right at the beginning there are scenes. There's some quite bloody nasty scenes they don't hold back um and they also don't hold back just in the in the fact that et- anything can happen like you know they're kind of set up and and as you say it's funny like the, the funny stuff is funny the horrific stuff the horror stuff that particularly those night terror scenes with and even though the, the incubus george is, is the first time you see me like oh this is ridiculous but because they establish that you still, you don't know whether you're supposed to think that they're, he really is an egubus or a total figment of our imagination. And they maintain that very cleverly throughout, helped by um, the character of Ben, Asif Mandu's character, who is the kind of guy who comes up with scientific explanations for everything in, in great detail. And I think that's really clever. Like he's always coming up with a reason and explanation for every single thing that happens. And I think that's from what I read is going to carry on throughout the whole thing. Treading that line between supernatural and real and horror and comedy, it does it so well. Um, Yeah, I loved it as well. I thought it was just um, a a brilliant surprise. And then I started, because I hadn't really read much about it, but I knew it was coming. But then when you read about it, it, you know, American critics, yeah, they're saying it's the best new show of the year, blah, 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 blah. But it's really, really different. And even though it has got bits of the X-Files, it has got bits of a lot of other shows and a lot of other films and stuff. It's definitely unique. It's definitely its own thing. It's interesting you mentioned
0: Ben, because that's one of the things that sets it apart from that classic, you know, sceptic believer two-hander, isn't it? That this is kind of a three-hander, although he has a slightly yeah. lesser role as the IT nerd. And he and she, both of them come up with, you know, the uh, sceptical rational arguments and Mike Colter just like, no, 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 yeah. and goes yeah. through with his, you know, his seminarian beliefs. Um, but yeah, like George in particular, that was very Darren Morgan to me. Like that felt like a real classic sort of like Darren Morgan X-Files moment. I didn't love this as much as you guys did, not because I thought it was bad it just procedures as you know leave me a little cold and I feel like I have watched so many things like again like I've watched every episode of the X Files I think I I don't this didn't offer enough that that's doesn't. Do you know what I mean? Like it didn't take me in enough new places. I like Mark Coulter and everything. I think he's great. And Katya Herbert's character I think is a really interesting take on that. And I love the fact that her husband is inexplicably up Everest because of course he is. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, all the way through this, it just a lot of these things felt familiar. Like it felt like, I thought, oh, this feels very X-Files. And then when, uh, when Michael Emerson comes on as that kind of like, is he or isn't he the devil? I thought, well, you just feel a lot like Brent Spiner's character from Outcast. And it's just like, a lot of this felt very overly familiar to me. That that said that said i do not think it's bad at all uh and i certainly think for the procedural fans out there this has a lot to offer and it feels different from a lot of the procedure is currently airing uh it's been a long time since we've had something tonely that works like the x-files did so uh yeah yeah some some fun to be had just i probably won't watch any more of it <laughs> well,
1: michael emerson's character and that he really did remind me of pacino in devil's advocate right but even the like dialogue there's a there's a scene on some steps and the places his dialogue goes to were really shocking. Some of the stuff he was saying in a glib way to prove (laughs) Mm. how evil he was was genuinely shocking. Um, And I thought the writing was actually really daring in places. I have to say as well, I think Mike Coulter is really lovely in this, like really nuanced and interesting and, you know, playing the role of the believer and and the trainee priest who um, kind of – often naively believes that there is a divine reason for everything that happens in front of him. I think that could be quite a, a hard role to nail with any kind of nuance and actually even make it vaguely interesting. But I think he's good. I just think he's gorgeous in this. Mm.
2: And the new but hot I, priest. I, what a hot priest. I mean,
1: but I do take your point, James. I wouldn't, I, and you know, Boyd was saying about critics saying it's one of the best new things on telly this year. I, I, Definitely don't think it is. And I think when you think about what's been on British telly this year, completely different, but we're talking about I hate Susie and and I may destroy you and things like that, which feel really um, bold and new and interesting. And this takes a lot of of traditional telly things and wraps it up together but it is the fact that this goes out on yeah. network TV yeah. that seems extraordinary I think you're to right me it. that like it's ridiculous. really
0: bold like it's really committed yeah. in what it does and for a network show it's really edgy as well so uh, yeah I, I agree with you entirely I think the critics I mean when they reviewed it, it would have been what last December I want to say it was a tail end of mm. 2019 um, but uh, yeah, yeah still Evil in the UK comes to Alibi uh, and it starts on Monday September the 21st at 9pm Finally this week, we have series two of Ghosts, a show that we missed actually when it debuted last year, but this one comes to us via the Horrible Histories and Yonderland crew, and sees Charlotte Ritchie and Keel Smith-Bino as a couple who inherit a haunted mansion, and have to find a way to get along with the place's undead inhabitants. Uh, This second season begins with ghost hunters invading the place, and gets an awful lot of comedy mileage from the fact that one of the ghosts is called (laughs) Fanny. Boyd... (laughs) I Did knew you get you into the pick up on that. <laughs> I knew you. there's like, literally a bit, which is <laughs> like right. Yeah. And then, and then we go to the Fanny shot, and then she's like, "Wait, wait, is Fanny exposed?"
2: Like they really get a yeah. lot of. Yeah. There are Fanny jokes, Mr. Slogan's <laughs> pussy all over again. I know. <laughs> um, but you know, that's the thing about this show; it will happily do Fanny jokes, <laughs> and yet, at the same time, at the same time, this opening episode of Series Two had I thought a really clever idea of if you have got so the whole premise is that this couple live in a really haunted house with real ghosts only she can see and she knows about so what would happen if then they then marketed it as one of those ridiculous haunted houses that people go to because it's haunted and then the ghost didn't play a lot (laughs) and then the people felt that they were robbed because it wasn't properly haunted but then it ended up that it is properly haunted and maybe they'll finally realise in the end (laughs) of the way marketing it. I thought it was such a clever um, initial opening episode. I really like the show. I really like the first series. It's basically a a traditional, you know, it's a traditional half-hour family-friendly sitcom, even with the fanny jokes. Again, bear in mind <laughs> Are We Being Are You Being Served went on for years and years. Eight o'clock on BBC One with pussy jokes every fucking week, and they got somehow got away with it. Um it's it's created by, as you say, the team of Horrible Histories in Yonderland, Matthew Bainton, Simon Farnaby, Martha Howe Douglas, Jim Howick, Lawrence Ricard, and Ben Wilbond. And I think they've established this tone going back to Horrible Histories of of just a a joyousness and a kind of celebration of eccentricity a british eccentricity particularly so all of the ghosts are 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 funny um silly they all kind of have their have their one thing they kind of do repeatedly every week and their and their and their kind of um recurring roles supporting charlotte ritchie i mean every time She's so good. She's so... I'm trying to avoid the word likeable <laughs> for Terry. But she is a delight. She's a, just a delight in everything she does. Mm-hmm. And in this is a, is a total delight. Keel Smith, by a husband, is funny. He's kind of like a doofus. Um, he uh, plays, you know, really well. plays it really well. He plays it really well. So I just think this cast, um, just just being funny. Katie Wicks is in it. She's great. Lolly Adafopo is in it. She's brilliant. Just the great talent. Um, doing very British, eccentric, lovable characters. It's it's kind of gentle, funny, rather than, you know, apart from the funny jokes, actually, <laughs> which are probably the most, the bro- certainly the <laughs> broadest and possibly the funniest <laughs> moments, actually, of the show. Um, the humour is, uh, gentle is almost the wrong word. It's kind of like, I don't think you're expected to find it hilarious mm. and, like, doubled up with pain and laughter. I don't think they're going for that. They've all, they're going for a kind of, like, wry wry observations um and and I think it really works and I really like it. Terry.
1: Well look. So <laughs> so in isolation there are lots of things about this that I like especially Charlotte Ritchie I just think she is magnificent in pretty much everything. The entire Cast is incredible. The tone, as Boyd says, is kind of traditional in some respects and gentle and quite warm and quite silly and stupid at times. Um, but I, I, I don't find it funny. And I, that's the thing I'm struggling with, which is um, it's perfectly fine. And I know loads of people love it. But and the and, and I'm with you the conceit is so brilliant the, there's, when they all go on strike and refuse to do any haunting stuff and she's trying to dole out responsibilities and he's like right you make the weird smell you and it and when then when they refuse to do it she's like oh god the ghosts are on strike it's the whole conceit is very funny mm. um but it, I just don't, it's not my kind of humor, the fanny joke, for example, (laughs) that those kind of, that classic, I suppose, British sitcom humor is what i describe it as, is not my cup of tea, but I can totally see why this is so loved and why um, people are so warm about it. It's a brilliantly warm show and I totally get it. And it's very British and it's brilliantly done, but, I just, it doesn't, it doesn't make me laugh.
0: I I think that's fair. I have a weird division in this where I found both uh, Smith Bino and Charlotte Ritchie both very funny. I thought they were both great, but I didn't find any of the ghosts funny. Um, Mm. So Charlotte Ritchie has this really good thing where she plays the comedic stuff so straight and just imbues it with just something I find, it just resonates with me. I find it naturally very funny. So because she's the one delivering the fanny jokes, absolutely deadpan straight, Loved it. Whereas, because the ghosts are much broader and more mannered and more sort of like quote unquote silly comedy, I didn't find them particularly funny. So I kind of I went backwards and forwards on this. So I watched the pilot of this as well to get a feel for it first before I went into this, and I enjoyed that more. I think maybe because it wasn't quite so ghost heavy. This particular one I didn't love as much, but it does have its moments. You know when you know when they're trying to fake the hauntings while the ghosts are doing their best to kind of sabotage it. Like there's there's good comedy fodder there. It's definitely not you know. Like Half a minute, lolling on the floor type, uh, type humour. But it's it's nice. It's it's quite sweet. It's quite comforting. I can see why it's really popular because it's the kind of uh, comfort blanket comedy that I think you know that we did, we in this country do quite well. But it's probably not going to become an all time favourite of mine. That said, I might watch another one or two. <laughs> so there you go
2: good <laughs> they'll be thrilled they'll be thrilled they oh, i might but i can't
0: yeah.
1: promise anything that has like a, a sort of
0: beetlejuicy feel to it in places as well like i like that kind of cohabiting because ultimately this is like a house share sitcom isn't it like it's a hanging out t- it's just yeah. that some of them are dead yeah. um yeah
1: but it doesn't have but yeah but th- i think like the humor of beetlejuice does work for me because it's much more sh- But sharp-edged and it's much more absurd (laughs) and it's much more kind of eccentric and 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 weird. And mean-spirited in places as well, whereas
0: this definitely isn't.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, you've got your caveman doing the crossword and, <laughs> and, and I mean, it's just, it's so, brilliant. I mean, what I will say, it's so brilliantly, beautifully British, <laughs> yeah, do you know mm. what I mean? And the scoutmaster with the arrow through his neck and it ruins the end of the football. I and mean, it's just, I totally, I totally, totally get it, but it's probably a little too gentle for me.
0: Ghost series two begins on BBC One on September the 21st at 8.30 p.m.
2: What else is out this week, Boyd? Um, well, there's a new spin off of 911, which was Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk's kind of very mainstream, um, hugely successful American drama series about the emergency services. And this one is called 911 Lone Star, and it stars Rob Lowe believe it or not, as a fireman who's the sole survivor of his Manhattan fire station 9-11, and he goes to Texas. It's a, a fish out of water, and he's a fish out of water in that terrible British thing. <laughs> Wild Bill. Yeah. yeah, Wild Bill. So he's somehow fitted this in to his hectic schedule and done another lengthy fish out of water drama series, this time an American one. But fans of 9-1-1 will enjoy it. This is following um, on from the FBI spin-off that we had last week. Yeah, right, yeah. I mean, once you've got a successful, a vaguely successful procedural of any kind in America, you're going to get spin-offs of it. You know, there'll be evil yeah, colon... Evil colon you know, Miami. Up the mountain. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, it'd be evil on Everest with her husband yeah. investigating things Definitely. with Sherpas.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, and I wanted to mention there's a, there's a one-off um, documentary on Sky Arts is now um, is now on available to watch for free. So you don't have to be a Sky subscriber to get it. It's on Freeview and you don't have to pay for it. And there's a one-off Danny Died documentary about his relationship with Harold Pinter on Tuesday. <laughs> oh, yes, Jesus Christ. On Tuesday, the 22nd of September. And it'll be on. You can watch it anytime you want on if you've got Sky. And,
1: what is his relationship well, with Harold, Harold Pinter,
2: Pinter? Harold Pinter cast him when he was young, when he was in his early 20s. In one of his productions that Harold Prince himself was directing, they became mates, and he then cast him again, and it became a thing. They became proper mates, and they would socialise. And it's what? A do- yes, this sounds exactly, like a documentary. Is this some kind of spoof?
1: Yeah, no, it's Are you real. You taking the piss?
2: I'm not taking the piss because people forget Danny Dyer before he went did all those terrible Could British act. gangster <laughs> films and Extenders. Could act. He was a promising young actor who did some good stuff, particularly his stage work with Harold Prince. And I saw him last year. They did some Harold earlier this year in the Waiter, which was they did Harold Pinter shorts in the West End and I saw him and he was brilliant he was fucking brilliant in that so he can act it's just that he's become a kind of big bizarre celebrity so yeah if you want that whole story that's on Sky Arts on Tuesday F-K-I. that is nuts yeah okay pick of the week what would be your pick of the week evil. oh evil evil evil, evil. evil is evil. your pick of the week
0: evil Wow. Yeah, I think
1: so. As opposed to what?
0: I don't know. I... I,
1: I... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's only three options, right? Of these One of which three, you're like, I might watch well,
0: again if I can be put bothered. Put this way. Ghosts, I said I'd watch maybe another couple of episodes. Evil, I've basically said I'm not watching any more episodes, and I watched the whole of Utopia. So by that virtue, oh, alone, yeah. I've almost got to say Utopia, because I've watched all of it. So mm. there you go. Um, do we want to do a quick Banshee before we leave? Terry, why don't you go first?
1: Okay. So... <clears throat> I want a Banshee Spotless, which is currently on Netflix. It's a French show set in the UK that I think was originally aired in the US. Um, But it's basically a bit like Breaking Bad, um, but with crime scene cleaners and Mr. Bates from Downton Abbey. I mean, what is not to love about this? So it's about a Frenchman living in London. He does a um, a crime cleanup business. That's his business. His name is Jean, and you're going to enjoy my pronunciation now because he is played by Marc-André Grandy. Grandin, which I think is the French pronunciation. <laughs> Gromdid, um, and he he basically originally been crime scene cleaning legally for the police, um, but he gets himself into loads of bother. His brother turns up after he hasn't seen him for years and years and years, um, played by Denis Menocher, and he brings bother because he turns up with a dead girl in his car. Which, you know, is always uh, is always gonna cause a problem. And basically they then end up crime scene cleaning for um a British mobster who is played by Brendan Coyle, aka mm. Mr. Bates from Dancing Abbey. Um so this is all I think there was, was the one season? One season only, 10 episodes, um, and it's about the disintegration of family, there's an extramarital affair, about getting entangled in crime, about secrets from family, past and history. Um and this is kind of, I suppose, peak French T V. Trape on. As they say in, in La, La France. France. That was a
0: roller coaster of the <laughs>
1: <laughs> I apologize to any French people harmed in the Listen, making of this. She was
0: say this only once. Um, or or twice. possibly twice. <laughs>
2: Um, when they bring back Clueso. <laughs> when they do a female spin on Clueso, you definitely shouldn't forget the um,
0: I want to talk oh, about one which I was asked to talk about on Twitter, which is only made slightly more problematic from the fact that while I've seen every episode of it, I only have a very dim recollection of it. But this is Terra Nova, which was an Amblin show, actually. It was exec produced by Steven Spielberg, and this aired all the way back in 2011. And it was a sort of lavish big budget production and it was set in a future where you know the environment's gone to shit yada yadda yada basically the world we live in now and uh you, you, there's a sort of uh there's a maximum child policy and uh the the main character in this uh, jason omara played this guy jim jim shannon and he and his family they'd broken the uh child policy and he'd been arrested for it they had one too many children so they he they, they go on this pilgrimage through this quantum portal which has been discovered which takes them back to the cretaceous era <laughs> because of course it does so then you've got these colonists in the Cretaceous period trying to kind of you know start a new life amidst dinosaurs and whatnot and then of course you've got big business who are trying to strip mine the Cretaceous period uh, and take it all back to the future Um, but this has Stephen Lang slang himself as the commander of this settlement there in a kind of proto-avatar mould a man who survived 118 days alone in the Cretaceous period and helped build up this settlement and there's like a faction called the sixers who are trying to do something and there's corporate interests and whatnot and then they try and end a portal so the future can't come in it doesn't really matter suffice it to say it was quite good the effects were actually pretty decent i remember being quite compelled by the story but it was very expensive and it got cancelled so terranova sadly is no more but it was quite fun while it lasted
2: yeah, I remember Terra Nova. Yeah, it was quite a huge kind of hugely trumped, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it wasn't, it it was like, like it was like the big show of that year, it wasn't yeah. it? Like all the money yeah, was in
0: yeah, Terra Nova. Yeah. So yeah. I was a bit surprised yeah. that it kind of died on its arse. But um yeah, you it know, did.
2: I, I, it was it was pricey. Yeah. Um I was inspired by a guy called Ian Smith on Twitter, Drunken Baker, as his uh, Twitter handle, um, he reminded me of um, a Steve Coogan, old Steve Coogan show, because I'm on a bit of a Steve Coogan um, trip at the moment, because um, if in case you haven't heard it, the, the Alan Partridge from the Oast House um, podcast, which is actually an audio book, which you can only get on Audible. I know Coogan was on the uh, some other podcast, the Empire podcast. Hmm. Um, uh, should really have been. I think it's more TV than film. I do think <laughs> he should really have been on this podcast, but I won't go on about it. Anyway, from the Ost House, it's the greatest Alan Partridge thing yet. It's fucking incredible all seven hours of it so i first of all i mentioned that so then i was on a steve coogan watching other stuff and his series dr terrible's house of horrible was a one series wonder in 2001 and it was basically an anthology series just six episodes um, before inside number nine and before the current kind of vogue for anthology shows it was a different silly horror story every week and they were kind of spoofs of classic, um, like Tales of the Unexpected, all the shows that inspired Inside Number Nine, basically, Thriller, which I mentioned on here a couple of weeks ago, Beasts, another one I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, all of those are in it. And visually, it's kind of like, it's got a kind of 70s feel to it. And Steve Coon introduces each episode in, in this guise of Dr. Terrible. And it was really funny, by the way, really funny character. And it had great people in it, like Honor Blackman's in it, um, Angela Pleasance, Mark Gatiss, John Thompson, Simon Pegg's in it, um, Ronnie Ancona had a really good cast it was really funny you can only get on DVD it's not on any of the um, streaming services or anything but it is freely available on DVD for quite cheap but I loved it I remember when out the time and I was gutted that it was never recommissioned I've listened to summer from the Oast House oh have you yeah And it's amazing, isn't it? Well, it's Alan Partridge,
0: which, as you know, I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with. But I must admit... Why
2: are you listening to it if you don't even like Alan Partridge? Well, we were given
0: an exclusive clip to run on the website, and so I had to listen to Uh, it to vet it. But actually, I possibly... I can't confirm 100%, but there's a very real chance I smiled at one point towards the end.
2: (laughs) So...
1: (laughs) (laughs) Recommendations do not come
0: higher than that. Wow
2: that is a huge
0: (laughs) and on that note that is it for this week's episode of the pilot tv podcast if you would like to show your appreciation in the form of a five-star apple podcast review then that would be great and if you enjoyed the show then please tell all your friends about it as well if you're in need of personal grooming tips then Boyd is available to field your manscaping inquiries (laughs) on Twitter and or Instagram at Boyd Hilton and for anything else Terry and I are at Terry underscore white and at James C. Dyer
1: I am also available for testicle Yes, feel free feel
0: free to run those past Terry as well if Boyd doesn't have the answer for you (laughs) Terry's here for pronunciation needs definitely (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Terry will do it in a French accent Uh, Next week on the show we will be seeing fact and fiction collide as we witness Brendan Gleeson masterful take on Donald Trump revealed in all its glory in Sky's The Comey Rule plus we'll be investigating the very meaning of life in the Doctor Foster spin-off of the same name and you'll get to hear what we thought of Brave New World as well pilot out